Before we get rolling, let's uh, pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for this precious baby and other babies born in this church. We just thank you for these wonderful families raising children to follow you with all their hearts and love you with, their, with all their hearts. And just reminded uh, also, just in our nation, how we are at the 49th year uh, yesterday of Roe versus Wade. We prayed that it would be overturned. The possibilities are there. We pray that our Supreme Court justices would uh, uh, judge in the fear of God. I know they're hearing some and uh, working on cases now for that very possible end. We pray that life would be honored and respected from conception to death in our country. We thank you for this day now and uh, just uh, for this ability to bring a message. In Jesus' name, amen. So you're a, a, a bit off the hook today because this really isn't a teaching, a message where you need to memorize stuff and take notes and, you know, feel convicted. This is going to be a, basically a testimony. I'm just going to share my life with you about uh, God and money. And again, it's just me and uh, everything I share won't necessarily apply to your particular situation, but maybe some of it will. You gain some inspiration, gain a little uh, benefit from it. But how many here have ever painted themselves into a corner? Nobody has. Here's a few people who did that. I pulled up a few pictures of people painting themselves into a corner. How many here know how to paint? How many here know how to paint? I have one word for you. Don't be so sure that you know how to paint. I thought I knew how to paint years ago, and I found out I really didn't, and I had a lot to learn about painting to make money and pay the bills. It was the summer after my uh, second year of professional school at the Ohio State University, and I come back to that, but that's when my painting experience really began. I never really actually painted myself into a corner, but I did corner myself as I grappled with God and money. I'm going to share about that. We're going to go back even further than 1981. I came to Christ in 1977. It was during my junior year at UND. And immediately I had good examples, people to follow in my faith. And they taught me to, to read my Bible daily, to read through it yearly, to memorize Scripture, and to be devoted to church, and to come to church regularly. And when the church has stuff going on through the week, come to that as well. I was also lucky shortly after salvation, really, really lucky, a year and a half later, I married my high school sweetheart. She had come to Christ a couple of months before me, and uh, <clears throat> during our engagement, and I'm often reminded by Jean that I never actually proposed to her. We got married, and I never actually asked for her to marry me. I had just asked her dad. I sat down with her dad in one room, and the adjoining room was pretty much wide open, and they, he, Jean and her mom were sitting there listening to everything I was saying as I was talking to her dad, asking if I could marry her. He said yes, and that's all I needed. 
So we got married. Here's some things that happened to you, some convictions we had developed. Again, personal convictions of ours that we developed. During our engagement, we determined we're not going to use birth control. We're going to count children as blessings that they are given as God in the Bible. And God took us up on that. I know you know the story. David was born, you've heard this before, nine months to the day after our wedding in Columbus, Ohio, he was born. So if you know David's birthday, February 26th, and you know how old he is, you can just go back nine more months, and then you know when our anniversary is. You can send us a card. Anyway, here's where God and money really began to intersect. In the fall of 1979, we were in Columbus, of course, uh, our, our church brought in a special speaker, one of the founders of our church movement at that time, and he spoke passionately about the gospel and commitment to Jesus Christ. So much so that I got up from bed that night, our little one-bedroom apartment, got up from our mattress. It was on the floor. We didn't have a frame yet. didn't have the money for a frame. Got up. And I crawled into the living room, crawled under the desk. I don't know why I did that. I got on my knees, crawled under my desk, and I told God I I was committing myself 100% to him, and I'll do anything that he asked me to do for the rest of my life. And this was the verse that struck me, Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I told God that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to commit myself to him and do what he told me to do. Concurrently then, as I was reading the Bible, this is a similar time frame, within a few weeks or months anyway, I was challenged to to develop a conviction on two important areas of money. And the first one was this. This also came from the book of Romans. I was reading this and and it said this, Oh, no one anything. Owe no one anything. Actually, the whole verse goes like this. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. But for me, at that time, those first four words stood out. It was like they're capitalized, underlined, they're in bold, they're in neon. It was a rhema, R-H-E-M-A. It was a rhema from God, God's word coming alive to me. Owe no one anything. You know, there's a number, number of different passages in the Bible about the pitfalls of going into debt. Not that, and, and again, uh, not that it's a sin to borrow money or any such thing. I don't believe that at all. But for me, it was like a lightning bolt in my life. And I determined then that this was a personal call for me in my life not to borrow money, to owe no one anything. And so that's what I did. It was in accordance first with Romans 12.1 to give myself fully to God, commit to God, do whatever he asks of me. Again, this was while I was in professional school, so I had tuition payments to make. I had rent to pay, our one-bedroom apartment. At least the heat and water electric were paid. It was $125 a month, pretty good deal. Cockroaches and mice were no charge. But we had groceries to, to buy, to pay for. Our budget was $40 a month. I don't expect anybody to be able to feed a family now on $40 a month. We did it back then. 
It was not a very opportune time to come up with a financial conviction like that. It was like I was painting myself into a corner financially. And only God could get me out. Which He did for the next three and a half years and beyond to this day. We've seen the hand of God in our lives. We would have never seen it otherwise like we have. At that time, we had some money in the bank because I graduated early from University of North Dakota with a degree in mathematics. I graduated a semester early, so I was able to work and save money for school coming up. But even at that time, we decided when that conviction hit, decided that we were going to pay off our, we had some undergrad loans that we decided to pay off. So we dug into that money to pay that off even though our loans wouldn't be due until I graduated from professional school. David was born in 1980. There are bills associated with that. We didn't have health insurance at the time. A year later, he became, you know, this story became deathly ill. He spent some days and nights in ICU, but recovered. As you can see, he's healthy and well, but that meant more bills. The hospital allowed us to make Monthly payments of $150, and the doctor's bills, which were separate, were $75 a month. We had one doctor, pediatrician, a godly Christian man, Dr. Todd. Remember Dr. Todd? Oh, man. Here we go. He canceled his bill for us because he found out that we didn't have insurance. A true Christian man. He went to be with the Lord just a few, day, a few we, um, years later after that. He had a heart attack and died. Wonderful Christian man. So there we were in Columbus, Ohio, the spring of 1981. We were still facing rent. Different, different apartment now because the one we were at the first year got torn down. And so we're in the second, the second apartment. Here we had to pay uh, electric, water, heating bills, and so on. We still had tuition bills, still had grocery bills, da-da, da-da, da-da. And we were expecting our second child, Lois. Jean was home since we had also decided that she would not work outside the home once we had children. That was our decision we made. Back to painting. That was the spring of 1981. <clears throat> I needed to work, and I needed to make money, and I needed to make it fast. Fast and furious. There were jobs then that paid up to $6 an hour. That wasn't enough for me. I did the math. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't pay our bills. So I took a job as a subcontractor with a brother in our church who had a painting and cleaning business, mainly painting. Here's my first day on the job. I did not paint myself into a corner, but I painted myself sick. He assigned me to this efficiency apartment, and I had to paint the whole thing. Well, the kitchenette and the bathroom were oil-based paint. This little tiny apartment, efficiency apartment, Anybody, any ever, anybody ever paint in a small location with oil base? Yeah, I got sick. I got horribly sick. My head was spinning. It took me about double the time to paint it what it should have. I came back to our apartment. I laid my head down. The world was just spinning. I said, I, I, I don't know if I can do this. I made less than $3 an hour when I calculated it out. <clears throat> I need to learn how to paint and paint fast which I did. I learned how to paint. So you who think you know how to paint, I hope you do. Besides the painting work, I also picked up two part-time jobs. One of the jobs was, was with an inventory service, RGIS, inventory service. So 
So during the summer months when I wasn't in school, or sometimes even during the school year, I would, I would come home from work and, and have a quick supper and take off in my Datsun B210 and, and uh, do inventory at grocery stores or, or uh, discount stores, whatever, and I get home after midnight, late at night, and next day start the whole thing. I can still picture driving away Gene and the two kids then just, just um, looking at the door as I, as, uh, as, from the door as I drove away. Yeah, so I learned afresh what it meant to work 60-plus hours a week during the summer, work during school. Then came the second financial conviction. What wonderful timing. <clears throat> during that summer between my second and third years at The Ohio State University, one of the church pastors, John Hopler, gave a teaching. Is a teaching I'd never heard before on tithing, giving 10%. Never heard it before in my life. We were under the gun financially. What are we going to do? The, the decision had already been made when I committed myself to do whatever God asked me to do. And so we were in a financial corner, but we began tithing nonetheless, giving 10% to the church, and we never have looked back. I can say that God has kept every one of his promises and blessed us. And you know what? I'm glad we started then when it was difficult to do so when we had very little because I don't know that we would have done it afterwards when we had more. I just don't know. <clears throat> when we are married, we're given this framed Bible verse. And if you come to our house, you'll see it in our entryway, Matthew 6:33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. We put God first, and he has kept his promises. Like that song says, we should almost sing that song again. We're going to do a different one. He's kept all his promises. He's provided for us all our days. Here's another verse that inspired me along the way, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or else will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Mammon, 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 what is that? It means money. That's all it is, it means money. I can't serve God and money at the same time, so I've got to pick one I'm going to follow. <clears throat> Those are two significant financial convictions that God gave to me slash us. One was steering clear of death. Another was giving 10%. It put us like in a financial painted corner, and God got us out. God provided for us, and I wish I had an equal or more amount of time to spend. I could share with you the hand of God in our lives through those years especially, how he provided miraculously, how he stirred people up, how he, how, how he, how he put things together so that we could, so that we could live debt-free, and continue to tithe without first coming to those financial convictions we never would have seen the hand of God like we have in our lives it has been an amazing ride I'm going to close with this this is I'm going to call this my personal financial my personal statement about giving here it is 
Tithing is my practice of honoring God by cheerfully giving the first fruits on the first day of the week as I've been prospered through income from work or other means by the Lord. It bears evidence that I've committed myself to the Lord in His church and solidifies the conviction that it's better to give than to receive. Tithing the first fruits mean that I, means that I give to my local church 10% of my income. It is a practice that began long before the nation of Israel was formed and the law was given, but was required of the Jews and also affirmed by Jesus. So it applies before the law, under the law, and under grace. The practice of tithing carries with it the promise of God's blessings, both materially and spiritually. In fact, God even invites me to test him in this. It is a reflection of my faithfulness to God in greater realms. If I withhold tithes and offerings, it's likened to robbing God, and I invite and should not be surprised by curses and troubles in my life. The giving of tithes and offerings means that as a steward, I recognize that all that I have is God's to begin with, and I'm a manager of God's resources, and that my ability to earn income is a gift from God. So as I excel in the grace of giving, that money is used to support God's workers, pastors, missionaries, etc., God's work in spreading the gospel and winning people to Christ. Giving is an indication of where my heart is really at. Finally, I am promised great rewards in heaven when I first give here on earth. That's my story, and I'm sticking with it. And again, I could share an equal amount of time, maybe someday I will, how God provided through those years. The bottom line here, though, is that God wants my heart. God wants my heart first. He wants our hearts. Now, here's a little bit of application. You may be wrestling with finances, or you may be wrestling with uh, a relationship or a lack thereof, or a job or career. God wants our hearts first, very, very first. Surrender. Once he has that, the rest is easier. Maybe not easy, but the rest is less complicated. Decisions are made. Hope you don't mind me getting so animated. Let's, uh, we're going to transition to communion now. God gave all he could to us. He gave his only begotten son. Jesus gave it all. He died on the cross. He gave it all. And that's one of the things I thought about when I crawled under my desk that night. Jesus did it all for me. Why can't I give myself back to God? And communion here is, is a, a remembrance, a celebration, a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us, dying on the cross, shedding his blood, his body being broken for us. All who are believers in Christ are welcome to participate. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, you gave the very best, your son. Lord Jesus, you gave up your very life. You gave everything for us. We thank you for that. It took you having to give up your life for us to have the benefits of salvation, eternity in heaven. We worship you. We thank you. 
All my life, we've seen the hand of God in our lives. You've been so, so good. We thank you. Thank you for saving us. In your name, Jesus. Amen.